Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my colleague and friend, fellow family law solicitor, Liza. Liza. Hi today. Hi, we're going to talk about children today and not just um, our children because that would be you know, a, a long episode of, of you know, a series of misevents, but the law relating to children in Australia and what happens when a couple separates, the parents separate and how we start making arrangements for the children. So um, I'll leave that to you to get us started. Okay, so the first thing that we want to talk about really is You'll hear an expression used by courts and by family lawyers all the time about what is the best interest of the child. And that's the number one focus that all parents have to have in mind is what is whatever is in the best interest of the child or the children is how you're going to determine your parenting arrangements, whether it be orders or a parenting plan. Now, we're not going to talk too much about how you structure that agreement today but what I really want to go through is some of the considerations that that us family lawyers will advise you on um, and help help you with and guide you with um, in respect of what it means to be considering what are in the best interests of your children because everyone's going to have a different opinion as to what what is best for your child um, and I can tell you now that the court's going to have a different one again. So, so it's, it's not really about what mum wants, it's not really about what dad wants, it's very much going to be focused upon how does the court go through the process of saying these arrangements are in the best interest of the child. Because it's, it's a legislative pathway, isn't it? It's a, it's a legal framework when you're calling into your family law solicitor and say, look, we can't agree, we're going to need some help here. That's right. So you, you really have to look at um, the very first thing that the court looks at is what is in the best interest and you determine that by a number of different factors and that's all set out in the Family Law Act. I'm not going to bore you with specific sections and things like that. No, that'll be my job. That's Alex's <laughs> job. I'm good at doing that stuff. I try and translate um, and interpret what the Act says into what it means for, for real people out there. But in terms of the very the, the main balancing act is ensuring that there's this meaningful relationship between parent and child and balancing that need for that meaningful relationship against the need to protect that child from harm. So you've just described in a nutshell Section 60B of the Family Law Act. If you say so. I, 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 do, <laughs> say so. I do say so. So you'll find the law relating to children and how we make parenting orders and what proper arrangements should be made all found in Part 7 of the Family Law Act. And 60B, which Liza was just talking about, does indeed say that the objects of that part of the law are to ensure that the best interests of children are met by making sure they have a meaningful relationship with both parents, but always subject to the more important principle that the kids are going to be looked after and not exposed to harm. So it's then we go through a whole raft of lots of other considerations. So Let's uh, maybe sort of talk through, we can sort of um, swap about stories of cases that we've dealt mm. with, obviously not naming any names or anything like no. that, but the kinds of considerations that we come across. So one what of the ones that um, you know, we've been dealing with quite recently is where the children will live. That's and right. And with which parents. So. so 
um, a, a lot of the time um, the determination of where that child's going to live is going to come down to a range of factors that are both not just there's an exhaustive list or it's not actually an exhaustive list it's a non-exhaustive list I should say in the Family Law Act in, under section 60cc there you go folks I do know there some you things go. Um, but in terms of um, that particular there's a there's a bit of a it's, I'd like to treat it as a checklist well it's it goes through a through to M in in numbers but the last one you're quite right it's a not a not an exhaustive list because the very last thing is any other relevant. fact or circumstance the courts thinks is relevant so that's just Anything at all. That's right. So so I think the best way to tackle this today is, like, let's start off by talking about this concept of meaningful relationship because a lot of the time we're talking about, you know, where parties are going to live, like where the kids are going to live and how much time they're going to have. But a lot of it comes down to um, these factors. And I think that what you need to do is address these factors first and think about what these things mean for your rela- your family and your relationship with your child and your relationship with your former spouse. Um, and then once you've worked through those those things, then you can basically identify what that's going to mean, what that's going to look like for your family. So this concept of meaningful relationship is a tricky one because sometimes people think meaningful means more time and having the most and, and having the child live with you. Well, it must be meaningful. Well, meaningful means different things to different people, doesn't it? It does. So it means different things in every single family situation. That's right. What's what's right for one family might be completely impractical for another. So you might not have, you, you could still, may not be able to see your child for, um, you know, for two weeks at a time. You might be every second fortnight having spending the, your time with the child um, for that weekend. But that's not to say that that's not meaningful time. Mm. And, and also, it, even further, I mean, we, we have cases, of course, where parents live interstate and the children don't see their, their other parent in the other state you know, throughout the entire duration of perhaps a whole school term or even longer, but then get to spend time with them over school holidays. And so that's meaningful in the sense that it's a positive and, and a, a genuine connection, but it's not that much time by comparison to the other parent. It's no. not, not about a time judgment, it's about quality judgment. That's right, and that's where that's where it becomes a very subjective and very tricky area to try and navigate. Um, but one of the things that is really important for people to realise when we're talking about this meaningful time, and you'll hear it a lot and a lot by judges, by courts, by um, in, by family lawyers, by other people, even by us in these podcasts, is that it's your child's right to have that meaningful time. You as a parent. You're not so much, it's it's not your right that we're talking about. It's your child's right to have that meaningful time with that other parent, with both parents, I should say. And yeah. that's that's the that's the very, that should be the starting point in every single case. Every single um, relationship that's broken down where there's kids involved, you really need to look at it, okay, um, how am I going to f- facilitate this meaningful time with both parents? How is that going to happen? Because that's your child's right. Yeah, I, I find it helpful sometimes to explain to clients that are going through this uh, that it's more about parents have responsibilities and children have rights. Yeah. And your responsibilities as a parent are to make sure your kids' rights are respected. And sometimes that might mean coming up to an outcome that you would prefer it wasn't that way, that you would prefer that the kids maybe spend equal time. But practically, it's not going to work for maybe you know, employment reasons or geographical reasons. So you've got to put their interests above your own. So, and as long as um, the, the proposal or the arrangement that you're, you're talking about d- 
doesn't lead that child to being exposed to a risk of harm. Now, we're going to get to that um, in a moment because that's actually quite a in-depth and detailed area of law when we're talking about this risk of harm and what all that means. Um, it's a, As I said before, it's a balancing act. And one of the things that we need to really focus on is, is how, do you, how do you then try and balance that desire or that need to have that meaningful time and in the same time protect them, mm. protect your child from harm? Well, we've all heard this, the, the terrible cases, of course, and anybody who's um, followed the news over the past few years have heard stories of parents that have been really opposed to each other in court and then something tragic happens when one parent has the kids. Um, this isn't really the podcast we're going into some of that mm. depth, but you can protect kids by arranging, for example, if there is a real risk rather than just a perceived risk, uh, you can have uh, that time supervised with the other parent. So they, they, we have contact centres in Australia where the time can be maintained between the parents but in a very safe space. And then if it turns out that any allegations were you know, really without any foundation, then at least that connection has been maintained whilst not exposing the kids to any even risk of harm. But it's a, it's a very difficult job for the courts and to, ju- uh, to juggle, really. And, and as lawyers, we're often sort of led only by the information coming from our clients. Um, sometimes it comes from a, an absolute position of truth, and other times it's a perception of something that might not really be as serious as they're making out. But you know, we can never really know. No, we can't, and it, it and it, that's that's always the the problem that we we face that we've got one party saying that someone's at a risk um, to the child, and then the other party saying, "Well, no, it's your belief that they're a risk that is a, a risk itself." A risk in itself, yeah, and and it sort of becomes ever decreasing circles, really. I mean, so it's it's like then little babushka dolls of worry. So that's right, and then you're looking at who's got the which is which is the worst harm that's going to come to the child or potentially come to the child. So I think um, it, it is a balancing act, but I think we'll come back, we'll park mm. the idea of harm for the yeah, moment and so just deal with a lot of these other considerations. The, the sort of standard, um, let, let's assume there's no great risk of harm or that there's yeah. no, and n- not even any allegation of any risk of harm. So it's just what are the considerations? Now, one of the, uh, the first things to think about is, is th- about the child themselves and how old they are and what they want. That's right, the age, their maturity... So age and maturity are totally different things. You can have a, a six-year-old, and I'm, <laughs> this, speaking, this is very true. I'm speaking from experience here, a six-year-old who you'd swear was 15, um, but you might have a 15-year-old who was, you know, who's got the mental age of a 10-year-old. Um, or you might have a 40-year-old something parent with, you know, <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that, that maybe lacks some maturity and, um, and a 20-year-old that has a great deal of maturity. But so those some parents, but the kids, their maturity is a very important factor in how important their views are. That's right, because children have views and they might be taken into account, they may be completely ignored, but they still have a view. And a lot of the time you will have, um, it, it depends on whether or not they are at a mature age or a, mature, a particular level of maturity um, as to whether or not that view is going to be taken into account. So a five-year-old might simply want chocolate for breakfast, chocolate for lunch yep. and chocolate for dinner. And that's a you know, perfectly valid selection of views, but probably not really going to be very determinative of anything. Yeah, and you've but got a fifteen-year-old kid might have a very clear view as to where they want to live and why. Yes, they could, but they can also be, um, you know, persuaded by yeah, what we what we used to say: the Disneyland dads and the um, true or the pizza parent. Pizza parent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know. 
self-explanatory things you know that the parent that only sees the kids at weekends and so it's full that weekend is stuffed full of treats and nice things to do and there's no homework and there's no drudgery involved yeah and there's no there's there's plenty of fun um no responsibilities um and so of course marvelous where do i sign up i know i know um and you do a lot of parents will find that they will struggle uh and with that particular issue particularly when you've got kids that are in that 10 to 15 year old age bracket because they know what they can get away with and even the courts know that it's going to be very difficult to convince and to order or enforce a 15-year-old to do something that they just do not want to do. Um, uh, well, true. I, I, we, we have one ourselves and, uh, well, he towers above me these days. I'd, I'd love to see me actually trying to physically manhandle him. He broke my ribs in a football match last year. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I don't think I'm going to be trying to squeeze him into a child seat in the back of the car. No. Um, but that's, um, So it's a relevant thing in terms of their age. But it's not necessarily determined. Even older aged kids, there was the Bondelmont case of a few years ago that went all the way to the high court. Oh, was that the, when they were over in America y- yeah, or somewhere? Yeah, 17 year old or something. That's right, 17 year old boy was uh, one of the two brothers who wanted to stay very much with a dad living the life of, of Riley in uh, some swanky New York setup. Uh, but the High Court of Australia ultimately said, no, no, you come back to Australia and the courts here will work out what is in your best interest. I mean, he would have been seething. I mean, w- I sort of wonder, you know, whether or not some of the... I don't know uh, about no, that. I'm sure I'm our learned brethren on the, on the High Court, whose judgments, mm-hmm. of course, we enormously respect, uh, must have um, must have had some insight into that that I couldn't see when I read the judgment. I'd be quite honoured if the if I found out that the High Court were listening to this podcast. <laughs> so some, sli- some of the I think I'd be slightly surprised, but, uh, well, you know, you never know, we live and learn. Uh, so they might take that comment on board for the next one. Okay, yeah. Things that we would say to judges, uh, apart from yes, your honour, no, your honour, you're absolutely <laughs> right, your honour. I would that's draw a, that's that a remark, your honour, for, for for a Friday afternoon <laughs> or something. I think. <laughs> yeah, there, there may be a requirement for a glass of wine or six before that podcast gets recorded. Um, going back to these other considerations, then, in a normal, if I can call it normal, because there's nothing normal about children and parenting cases. But so the first thing we're going to think about is, all right, what do the what are the children's ages and what do they want, and how much notice should we take on on board? about those things, depending on how mature they are. And then the other thing that, uh, well, sorry, the, the next thing is about who the kids have in their lives. So what other relationships they have? I mean, what are their relationships like with mum? What are they like with dad, their brothers, their sisters, their grandparents? That Those are going to be factors that the court needs to think about too, aren't they? That's right. And again, getting back to what I just said before about the rights of children, again, it's not the grandparents' right, and I'm going to disappoint a lot of grannies out there, it's not the granny's right to have the time with the child. It is the child's right to have a meaningful relationship with them. So there are, it's a lot of... Um, Although I'm going to jump in and say, um, for the purposes of Section 65C, any grandparents that are listening, they are named as a class of person who can apply for a parenting They order. can. They can. They have a right to apply. They have a right to apply, but the determination is always going to be worked out on what's the best interest of the child. So that's right. The nature of their relationship with that grandparent is going to be you know, important if a grandparent does decide to apply. Yeah, um, but getting back to the ex- what I could call the extended family members, um, many people have blended families these days, and you're going to have um, children like you've got half brothers and half sisters and things like that, and people. People who come in and out of the their, the kids' lives, oh, step parents, all that is really really important, um, and their relationship with those other people is 
needs to be taken into account because if you've got an estranged family who has never seen or spoken to this child or had anything to do with it and then say mum wants to take them take the child back over to um western australia or somewhere like that and well and their family haven't had anything to do with them in the past well is that really something that do you think that that should actually happen alex or should they you know you've got a family here well i'll be like any judge and i'll say maybe let's listen to the evidence and again it comes back to every case is exceptionally nuanced it might be the case in fact that you would permit a parent to relocate to Western Australia even though the family there has never met the child if there was a support network there, if it was in the kid's best interest and if the support network that they were leaving behind was you know, one that was you know, perhaps going to cause them some harm or there wasn't the opportunity for them there. So everything's nuanced. It can work, but it's a lot less likely, isn't it? Yeah. It's much more likely that kids will remain in a place where they have consistency and they are able to maintain those important relationships in their lives so that they have that sort of bedrock of stability as much as possible in very different difficult circumstances sometimes. But you just raised a really, really important um, aspect is that when we're talking about these extended families, we do need to know, and the, and the courts will need to know, you know, what are these people like? Who are they? Do they work? Um, you know, is because when you said before, if it's in their best interest to actually move over there and to... If you don't know anything about these people. If you're proposing to have these other people as part of your child's life, you're going to have to put on some evidence about it, some admissible and persuasive evidence. So those people are going to have to become witnesses in the case. They in will. If, if, they're, if, if you're going in, into a courtroom to say, look, I have this wonderful support network, well, you're going to have to show the court exactly what mm. that support, who that support, work, support network is. And when it comes to, I mean, you've, you've mentioned brothers and sisters and half-brothers and sisters and step-brothers and sisters, that, or anybody that sort of fits within that category of sibling, that kids, you know, they, they have very strong bonds with their siblings. They do. And you're not generally going to be asking children, well, you, you're, it's exceptionally rare that you would ever have a child go anywhere near a courtroom in relation to these decisions. So they would meet the family report writer, wouldn't they? They and would, and they'd, they'd have a chat to them. Because there's two types of reports that I've seen lately, and that is the family report. And then there's also a thing called a wishes report, particularly for the older kids who are you know, in that 10 to 15-year-old and 10 to 17-year-old really category, um, where the family report writer will ask and they'll focus more on the child's wishes and analyse those views. So we're getting back to that. But the family report writer will, will want to um, go through who all these other people are in the child's life and make an assessment. And the strength of those relationships might help then to inform the court about what the practical arrangement should be so that those relationships yeah. can be either maintained or it's not that important. Yeah, brutally. Right. Okay. Now, stepping aside from the extended family, let's go straight to mum and dad then. Mm. And the next consideration, which is under the Act again, is the extent to which each of the child's parents have taken um, or the op- or fail to take even the opportunity to do things for the kids, to make decisions for the kids, to talk to the kids and, and to just be with them. Oh, my God. This is the biggest one that I have this, – this is the one that comes up the most with me. It's probably overlooked the most by the courts, but in terms of complaints and reasons why parents, particularly mothers, will take a, um, a certain stance, it's because of this issue. 
so many times I get told, oh, but, you know, um, he hasn't had any time or he hasn't been interested at all in the first six years of his life. Why is he, why is he now all of a sudden wanting to take an interest? It's yep. a relevant consideration. It really I, I, is. I hear it from both sides. I, I had a conversation yesterday w- with the father of, uh, of of a young fella who, who's the, the mother of whom sort of drifted out of this kid's life, and mm. it's just how do we then get that reconnection going, or do we? Is is yeah. it really worth that because yep. she's not really played any kind of part in in the life, um, and that happens more frequently than than you realise, I suppose. And we see it in family law context all the time, but the extent to which that mum or that dad has being involved in the kid's life is a consideration the court has to take into account. And so, again, it's going to need evidence and it might need you know, evidence from third parties to, to sort of say, hang on, the reason they haven't been able to take a part is because the other parent has blocked them from seeing or spending time or they've mm. ignored them. And so there's usually two sides to that story too. There is. And, um, and when it be- becomes very tricky is, say, for example, you've got... Um, an, an old ty- old type of um, relationship where you've got dad goes to work, mum was staying at home and raising the kids. And so mum thinks, okay, well, I've done all the hard yakka with these kids. Mum um, and dad are separating now and dad now all of a sudden wants to have some more time and equal time with the kids. Now, on the face of it, assuming there's no risk of harm, well, there's really no reason, or there's very little reason, um, why that couldn't happen. But I find that I get a lot of resistance from people in the in the shoes of mum, who says, "Well, I've been the one to do all this, and how come he can just come in here and take these kids half half of the time?" Um, and that's the that's the real dilemma, and that's what often is the emotional barrier that seems to prevent parties from being able to agree on some kind of parenting arrangement because there is that um, that need to feel recognised mm. in the work that they've done so far. And I'm not talking about the case where you've been separated for however many years or and that mum's never has, has denied the time. I'm talking about just a just through the roles in the household Yep. Your dad going off to work, he goes off and he, he works hard. So as a matter of pragmatism, he just yeah. hasn't spent that time just, with his children just, because, because that's how they've set their to. lives up. That's right. They're now they're in a different situation. Yep. Then, well, I mean, we both know that under the Act that the court has to, in some circumstances, consider uh, either equal time or substantial and significant that's time right. with that, that, say, that father that hasn't been around quite so much because of his job. but. Life's ch- life's change. That's Separations right. affect everything. Maybe you know we we know in this sort of post COVID world where a lot of people could do a lot more stuff remotely. So it opens up a whole you know possibility for some people to actually have the children with them much more than they ever thought it possible. It does, and I, I just I wanted to make that point clear because I do see it almost daily, and I I could say that pretty much almost ninety percent of the cases that come my way all have an element of oh, look, he didn't bother Yeah, the, it, it's the perception of that parent who's maybe done most of the, yep. the, the, the old-fashioned expression, like child-rearing, the looking after the kids, the parenting, until separation. But then separation happens and they can't understand, well, how, can I, how, how, how it is that I don't get full credit for all of that and why should there be a change to yeah. it? Well, because the law says it's got to be looked at, is the and answer. That is the answer. But at the same time, um, you can also take a, a bit more of a practical approach and, uh, and be a little bit more sensible and sort of think, okay, 
wife or mother is, is craving recognition, give her some recognition. Tell her. Buy her a badge. Not a badge. <laughs> T-shirt? I'm just saying, Here's some flowers. Now can yeah. I have my child well, back? Well, like <laughs> I was going to say, um, do you want a medal or a chest to pin it on? But yeah, she, Ooh, might, she may have the chest. Yeah. Arban Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arban Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au. We can't get into conversations around mothers having or not having chests, but, but uh, the point not, not though, in this podcast. The point that's though is that it's a very simple fix. You see it all the time in um, news stories. Someone has to give an apology and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it can really take the sting out of tr- you know you're trying to get the mother to let loosen those reins. Let um, the father become a parent. Let the father become a parent, but the way to do that dads out there is even if you feel that you have given her recognition yeah we're talking about trying to get her to agree to something that's a bit out of the comfort zone and let's just put whoever is actually at fault or anything like that out the out the window for a moment and just say okay look i'll give you that recognition i think that you've done a fantastic job with the kids um my life you know it hasn't worked out for us but this is where we're going to head and this is how it's going to work and it's going to be all fantastic for the kids. And keeping it very, very focused upon the best outcome for the children is always going to give you the best outcome. Oh, I As a parent, you'd be much happier, much more I relaxed. I think so. But I just think that if you can, where possible, where you can try and take the sting out of things, you, yep. you do so. Yeah. Now, here's one that gives a lot of sting. So the next consideration about what, how does a court work out what's in the best interest is considering how much the extent to which the parents have uh, f- fulfilled or failed to fulfil their obligation to maintain the child. I reckon if you asked a parent about that question, you know, midway through a very happy relationship or marriage, oh, wonderful dad, <laughs> does this, does that, and then a failed relationship at the end that's very same relationship they'll look at it in a totally different light they always spent their own money on themselves they never did anything for the no, children they're not right. paying any child support they were never now. they were never home they went to work early and then he said that he had to work late and he always got home at seven o'clock at night and the kids were already in bed and i already did that so we've heard those stories before and sometimes they're accurate and sometimes they're what we call the alternate truths <laughs> And um, sounds a little bit um, like an ex-president that we could th- all not mention. Um, Which one though? <laughs> it could be any of them. So I think we're safe there. Uh, fa- fair enough. Well, I shan't name names because they've got deeper pockets to litigate than I have. Yeah. Um, but in terms of not paying for the children, that's a big one. Yeah. You know, the a parent who has the wherewithal, they've got the means to be able to pay child support, but they choose not to. Yeah. That can, that's an issue, isn't it? Yeah. The child, the child support. If if they've done all that they can to try and get out of paying child support or they just haven't paid the child support it's a bad look in front of a it judge it doesn't look good it really is like i was in a matter last week uh, and the, the judge had a perception around that he was wrong unfortunately i think on that occasion mm. um but 
it's a very bad look in front of a court that's deciding ar- arrangements for your children if they think that you haven't been paying child support. Because child support's not for the other parent. It's not for your ex to go out and spend it on shoes or, or, or meals out. It is there to look after and pay for the things that your kid needs. Support for the child Yeah, is the key. You might not like how it's worked out, but you know we're all stuck with that. So if, you, if, if there's a takeaway from this, it's make sure that you pay your child support mm. because it's your child that you're supporting. It's not your ex. Yep. Right, so that's a thorny one, and we might talk about child support on another day. Yeah, because that's, it, it's, that's a whole episode. It's a whole one to dig deep into, isn't it? Um, okay, the next thing would be what about what's going to happen to the kid? If we make some big changes in the kid's life, what's going to happen? You know, If they're going to be separated from either mum or dad or, or one of their brothers or one of their sisters, one of their grandparents, the effect of those changes on the kid, that's going to be a significant thing the court has It to is, and that's about. where the family report writer will often step in because... Um, They'll look carefully at those relationships yeah, and possible yeah. impacts. And they, they look at the, the way that the, party, the, the parent and the children um, interact with one another and, and that attachment between whether it be emotional and the whole, the whole kickaboodle. They look at the whole lot and they make an assessment as to what, how the child particularly having regard to the way that the child, um, you know, their level of maturity as well. So bringing it back to that first topic, first thing that we were talking about before, mm. um, that plays a big part of it because, you know... The, the meaningful relationship, you know, which is, of course, the one of the... It's, it's even more paramount than this, but if the, the, if the issue is that you've got a young child and that relationship hasn't yet had the chance to really, you know, set in stone, maybe maybe because we were just talking about... You know, the father goes away, he does more of the working responsibilities and then comes back. And so Mm. mum is with a young child much more. So that child is very much attuned to mum, has a very strong bond with mum. If they separate at that stage, if that bond isn't worked on between the father and that child, and I'm I'm saying father, it could be the other way around, it doesn't matter. But it's going to be very difficult then to re-establish or or to create that meaningful relationship. It is. It's it's almost like the ship sailed in a lot of cases Mm. and it's really unfortunate for the child at the end of the day. They they are the people that when we've seen this, when parents have gone the separate ways acrimoniously and they've really gone off in different directions completely, it's the child or the children that really are affected by this because they they lose that opportunity to have a strong relationship with one half of their family. That's right. um, I remember... One of the judges up in Brisbane, I won't name names, but I'm pretty sure he's proud of this comment. But anyway, his honour said to, um, well, I, I think it was directing it to my client, but you, you kind of get the, you can kind of under, um, work out who I'm he's just, actually directing. Just wondering the if there are any cross-eyed to. judges that I can think of. <laughs> but um, but it, was, it was as if it was addressed to everyone in the room, um, was the worst thing that you could ever do to your child is to deny them a meaningful relationship with the other parent. It doesn't matter what your relationship is with the other parent, to deny your child that time, that opportunity, to have that meaningful time is the worst thing you could do. And it's, you know, obviously it's stuck in my mind because I'm still repeating it. It's excellent, excellent advice, isn't it? Because that just shows that the... The parent that's denying that time, their, their focus is all upon anger, and it's that's just right. about resentment about their ex. They're not putting, not it's thinking about, about what revenge. the impact on the kids. Yeah, that's right. You're so you know obsessed with getting some sort of revenge and one-upmanship over your ex, then you've probably trampled your children's you know, you know futures to some extent with their relationships with their family into the dust by doing that. It's a very immature thing to do. Mm. So, 
let's move along into the practicalities then. Oh, this is always a good one. So this is the next consideration for a court to have. It's, you know, what about, how how straightforward is it? How practical is it? How expensive is it affordable? Can What arrangements can we make? Well, this is where um, the overlap of relocation comes into it all the time, isn't it? Because you've got one hot party. Topic with us. Oh, it's always a hot topic, isn't it? Um, and But anyway, the if it's, you know, parties might be an hour away um, from each other and so there might be a... a a suggestion that they can have a 50-50, a week about arrangement being an hour apart. Now, Tricky with school and things like that. It is tricky with school, but again, depending on which judge you get, I had a judge from Newcastle um, and Newcastle in New South Wales and um, I remember because down that way, and I'm from down Hunter Valley area in New South Wales myself, but... You, you travel a long way to go anywhere. And so an hour's drive isn't really – like I, I would I would travel two hours each way on the bus to so go to school. Much less of an issue for people living in those sort of more, more spread so, out geographically so that communities. that particular judge, yeah. when, when we were all up in arms going, oh, this is ridiculous, there's no possible way that the children should be expected to travel an hour each, day, each way each day. But because of that particular judge – and that particular experience um, that she had, well, that wasn't really an issue for her. An hour wasn't a problem. But you get another judge that might be sitting in Brisbane who gets annoyed after half an hour of traffic. Yep. Um, that might be too far. We've sat in many courtrooms and heard precisely those kind of complaints yep. about that. that's far too long for these children to be travelling every day. But yep. So again, it's it's about that relativism, isn't it? Yeah. About where those people live and their usual lives and the disruption is more of the factor rather than the actual um, travel time. Um, and obviously the, the expense of maintaining those relationships where there are practical difficulties too, I mean, I don't, we don't want to harp on about the relocation, but of course, if it does involve things like flights and expensive travel all the time, then you've got to take that into account. That's right. And Who's going to pay for all that? And I, I often, I don't really, I, I know it's a, on a case-by-case basis, but I don't always agree that it should be the person who wants to have the time um, has to pay. I think that's and that's often what happens in yeah. a lot of cases. It's if you want to have that time, well, you've got to pay for your flights and you've got to pay for this accommodation. Yeah, I, 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 I just think, I just think it's completely parents, unfair. You're both parents and the, ch- the child needs to spend time with each of you in some yep. way and have, and have that relationship. So wh- whatever has led to that separation, whatever has led to those circumstances of you being distant that requires expense, well, you're both in some way responsible for I that. I think so too. So suck it up and, and be the be the better parent. Yeah. All right. Next thing then we're talking about that being the better parent is the capacity of the parents or, or indeed you know grandparents or somebody else. Um to oh, look after the children, to provide for their, their needs, emotional needs, their physical needs and their intellectual needs. So, This is Pandora's box again, isn't it? <laughs> they, they all are. They Holy all are. Toledo. So you've got um, a oh, – where do you start with capacity, seriously? Well, I guess um, I, I'd be looking at to make sure that, you know, that the mum or the, or the dad that's talking to me about this, that they – they seem to be a mature adult. They maybe they they hold down a job or they're doing responsible that's, things. That's a good and start. They are. You know, what's their situation in life? And just try and get a, a flavour as to how they can conduct themselves. Somebody who is in a you know a a highly emotional state 
may simply be emotional, but there there may also be some sort of underlying mental health issues there that need to be addressed. So it's do they have the physical capacity, the mental capacity? The the mental health um, is a big one these days. Well, it's the iceberg that that is out there, isn't it? Uh, And there's no no shame whatsoever in sort of seeking help to address mental health issues. People don't realise that. They think, oh, well, if I... If I went and got some assistance or went and saw someone about it, then that's actually taken as a negative. It's not. It's it's the fact that you can't recognise that there's an issue there and it's it's, it's just as bad as leaving a cold or, or something a bit more serious untreated. You know, you don't you don't leave a toe... Oh, if you, if you, if I just saw a toe. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't leave a toe... We have like, toes lying around the recording well, studio, yeah, as you I, can probably gather. Yeah, you know, no, body I, parts everywhere. It must... It, anyway. must, it must have been the anatomist's podcast before. Well, uh, it could be worse. But anyway, I was going to say, you don't have an infected toe and just leave it untreated, do you? You you treat it. You get it sorted. You get it fixed. I don't know how split happens is turned to I, I don't fungal know. We're, we're, infections. We're fungal infections on feet. Uh, and <laughs> thanks very much for tuning in. The, um, but, but you're right. If you have a broken arm, you're going to get it set, aren't you? And it's the same thing yeah, that's, whether that's it's probably a better a, a example. Men, any kind of sort of mental health. And it doesn't necessarily mean an illness. It could simply be the need to get a little bit of assistance over a difficult period. Mm. I mean, quite a lot of the time we will meet people in our line of work who need a little bit of help from the outside. They don't necessarily need counselling from solicitors because it's it's a very expensive way to do things. That's right. I wouldn't be doing it. And I probably would have listened to some of my advice either. I don't know that we'd be great at it because our our roles are all around legal legal advice delivery. Yeah. You know, it's that that great old line from um, an old Rowan Atkinson film called The Tall Guy with Jeff Goldblum in which he can, you know, Rowan Atkin can perceive that his straight man, this guy played by Jeff Goldblum, he's struggling emotionally and mentally. And he looks at him really compassionately and goes, hey, do you need to talk to somebody? And he goes, yeah, I do, I do. Like, so thanks for noticing. And then Rowan Atkinson turns around and goes, well, effing talk to somebody then. <laughs> You're supposed to be working. So, but we were, we've probably moved on a little bit from yeah. there. Anyway, I digress. Mm. Let's get back to... These are the considerations that your judge will have in saying, what are the right outcomes here? How do I get to my best interests? Yep. Here's another doozy for you. The next consideration is the maturity, sex, lifestyle, and background of the child and either of the parents. And any other characteristic of the child the court thinks relevant. Well, well, there you go. There's a Pandora's box within mm-hmm. a Pandora's box yep. there. Um, the lifestyle things that we have sometimes encountered are, well, they're, they're quite diverse. We have alternative lifestyles. And That's right. I think sometimes when you, you know, people read that that provision, say well, the maturity, sex, lifestyle, and background, and the, and the word sex comes straight into that, and they go, "Well, he stroke she stroke they did all of these things, and it was absolutely bizarre and, and awful. They can't possibly have the cho- children now, can they?" The answer is, of course, well, if it's got nothing to do with parenting, well, why not? That's right. Um, we've seen that quite a fair bit, and all I have to say is thank God for the Oxford comma in that <laughs> sentence because otherwise you'd have a, a totally different answer. But in terms of um, the, I think when they what they're talking about when it talks about lifestyle is, you know, have you are you a raging parent who goes to festivals and gets high on the weekend? Yeah, are you got the, or are you are you the sensible one who you know takes your kids to nippers? And then soccer training, football well, out training. Out there with the tiger sharks, that's sensible. Oh, well, sorry, I was, I was talking about... <laughs> football, now that's sensible. Yeah. Back to that again. Excellent. Did you see the match this morning? No, I didn't. I, a game I, of two halves. What? Don't, okay. don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> I won't, I won't. 
All right. So, um, maturity, sex, lifestyle, and background. It's, yep. it's just as broad as it is long, isn't it? I mean, yep. I've I've met immature people in their thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties. You scratch your head all the time, and you walk past someone, you go, "They can breed." Yeah. <laughs> like really? That's I know. You need licenses for dogs, but not for children. Well, that's what I find quite um, amusing. But anyway, so. What's the next? What's the next well, one on the, the? The next one is to have consideration of any cultural background. If the child is from an Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander background, yeah. uh, and, and you'll have to be led on a case by case basis as to what those considerations should you'll, be. You will. Uh, do you know there's actually an Aboriginal list for um, for those particular matters? I've noticed, um, which is which is really good because it hopefully that there's someone there I- that who's going to be adjudicating those decisions and will help that are. Um, will look catered for those um, specific needs and specific issues that arise in the Aboriginal communities, because there is a lot of cultural significance between you know with their tribes, and we don't um, necessarily like you know when I say we, I'm talking about the f- the federal the F and C court in yeah. its in its um, usual capacity doesn't always they just have a very um, the construction of family is very is perceived very differently within those communities. It is, and that's why it's really important that they yeah. have that specific list. I think uh, um, very timely, of course, because um, the prime minister only yesterday announced the wording for the forthcoming referendum about the Aboriginal voice. Oh right. So um, who knows that voice, which will be the committee to give some guidance around mm. Aboriginal interests. It, it may end up dealing with some of these family law things, but we probably put a pin in that and come back to that another yeah. day. That's, yep. a, that's a bit too deep. We don't have that much time to go. No. Um, right, I'm going to bounce along to the next one. Um, and again, a hot, hot area where parents squabble, which is the attitude to the child and the responsibilities of parenthood demonstrated by the child's parents. Now, almost every case, mm-hmm. the fingers are being pointed at the other person for being irresponsible, yep. getting it all wrong, not knowing what they're doing. Yep. It's 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 aligned to the capacity thing, but the That's attitude, right. the they don't care. Yep, never been important. Yeah, you're overreacting is one I hear all the time. <laughs> um, no, it's not an issue. You're overreacting, or they don't take it. Ser- they don't take me seriously enough. It's not not strict enough. Things like that. There's a whole. I think it just. This is, it's quite um, interesting when you break down all these subsections I- in the act because. When you think about it from... Because we often will see a case and we'll have a, cl- a client comes in with a set of issues and not every single one of these issues is going to be relevant to their case. So you don't have to consider every single part of this um, this, se- this section of the Act. But when you, we're going through this exercise at the moment, it's it's quite um, entertaining, or well, for us boring <laughs> old family lawyers, um, to actually consider the types of issues that might come up under each of these subheadings and these subcategories because it, it is quite clear that, you know, the attitude, um, I, I would love to know, I don't know why this is really in there because how does one get admissible and persuasive evidence of a party's attitude oh, that's right. into it's affidavit how, how material? Do you, how do you lead evidence you prove upon that? Somebody, the state of somebody's mind? It's not like the party who's fighting for custody. I think it was an old case of Postolides that, that dealt with some elements of that, but you know, no, some erudite barrister will tell me, don't be a fool. I, uh, I can't imagine um, a party who's fighting for their children going to put a hand up and go, oh, sorry, actually, I'm going to follow my sword here. Yeah, um, I've got a really shit attitude and you know, I'm, not, I'm not really that much of a – I don't really care about the child too much, but, yeah, please give the child to me. I, I, don't, I just don't quite understand what that's all yeah, about there. Pretty unlikely. Mm. 
Right, the, the next two are very much interrelated, and it's what we talked about earlier, which is risk. And in this particular context, it's whether there's been any family violence and, and then flowing on from that. If there has been a family violence order made, then how did that come about and was there evidence tested or how that was? So the impact of family violence is obviously a, a really hot thing for courts yes, to be aware of right that's now. That's right. So you've got – it's important to know family violence includes physical – like physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional and psychological abuse, financial abuse. Um, what are the other ones? Oh, you others. You've got uh, coercive control. Coercive control. That's, well, that's, but that's still really getting a lot of attention right now. It by, is by big the legislatures. Time. And then there's also just being exposed or witnessing any of the abuse as just, well. Neglect. Yeah. Neglect a, is another a one. A child seeing abuse isn't in itself abuse. It's that's quite, right. It's a real spiral, but. One of the questions that a court making parenting orders will have is, well, those are allegations made and were they ever run in another court? Because most of, the, most of those family violence orders or DVOs, AVOs, wherever you are in the country, are dealt with by state courts at the moment. And yep. there are th- There's been some white papers about that moving to a yeah, federal. That was a couple of years ago. I still haven't yeah, done that, yeah, have that's right. I did that paper on it. But um, it's whether or not a judge in another courtroom has heard detailed evidence about family violence and has made orders on the back of that. That is a very significant factor. Mm. Sometimes we're asked by clients whether they should simply accept a DVO being made on the basis that it means there's no evidence being heard and sometimes that is the right outcome because mm. you don't want to be running... Without admissions. Yeah, so you don't want to be running multiple cases and you can have those dealt with in the bigger case, which is usually to do with the kids. Um, but look, they're, they're very... Um, they're very important things to take into account of whether there's been any bona fide family violence, of course, because you've got to make sure the kids are safe again. That comes back to you know, that paramount consideration of, that, of their well-being. Um, almost the last one mm. before we wrap this up. And the, the, last, the, the penultimate one is whether it would be preferable to make an order that would, lead, that, would least likely, that would be least likely to lead to the institution of further proceedings in relation to the child. So making the orders the most practical so that people won't continue to litigate. So they've got to be stickable. Mm. I don't know much more I can say about that, no, really. <laughs> I was going to say, that's that's a conversation stopper if, if oh, you've I know, heard yeah. one. That's right, yeah. Hello, nice to meet you. What do you do? Oh, God, really? Um, lastly is the one that we've come back with, that we started to, which is anything else that the court thinks is relevant. So mm. even though we've just rattled through a number of those considerations from the Act about how does a court decide what's in the best interest of a child, ultimately... It will very much depend upon your family setup, the children's family setup, uh, and anything else that's going on in their lives that hasn't even been talked about. There. Yeah, and we could be, you know, scratching our head for days trying we, to. Think we of could be, we could be, and, and do that for a living all the time. So, look, that covers off um, the legal framework for that. You know, what is in the best interest of a child? It's such a such a big subject. Each one of those, there are many many cases on every element of that, but. That gives you a bit of an over, uh, a bit of an overview as to what the courts will consider and think about putting your kids' interests above those of your own is the takeaway probably. That's right. It's how it's how the court is going to reach that decision as to what is how the courts decide what is in the best interest of your child, because most people would think, how's a court going to work that out? You know, we can't even agree. Well. That's your little checklist. There it is. Well, thanks very much for listening, if indeed you've made it this far, and tune in again to another episode of Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. Thanks very much. 
Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good platforms.